Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Hi, and on Sci-Fi Talk, we catch up with author Brian Herbert, who besides writing his Dune books with Kevin J. Anderson has been pretty busy. Here's my conversation with Brian Herbert. Brian, as always, uh, it's great to talk to you. And, uh, you know, there, you, you've been busy uh, with, uh, with Kevin, but you're also doing some cool things on your own as well. Um, why don't we start with Little uh, Green Book, uh, Abrama, and, um, and kind of tell me, uh, how, you know, what kind of led you to tell that story? I was at Cal Berkeley, um, in the, in the late sixties when I, I, I saw, uh, the revolutionary movement going on there, and I saw copies of Chairman Mao's Little Red Book on mm-hmm. tables all over the place being sold, and, and it, it's, uh, I've always wanted to write something about my experiences at Berkeley at, at the epicenter of this, uh, revolution of, of spirit, uh, mm. in, in the United States. And so, uh, I thought, well, what if, what if the, the hippies, the, the, the far left group from Berkeley, what if there was a, a futuristic group of them and they took to the streets, uh, with anarchists as, as sort of the, the spearhead of their violence? But they took to the streets and they actually defeated the United States and all the governments in North and South America mm. and set up uh, the Green States of America, uh, which is a, a green utopia in which people are forced to live on reservations for humans and uh, the rest of, and they're densely populated and all the rest of the land then is green formed. It's returned to nature. Wow. So it's a utopia and it's good for the planet, but if you're actually living it under those situations, it's not exactly a utopia. It's more of a dystopia for some people. So I'm, I'm talking about the idealism of, of the environmentalists, and my hero is an environmentalist. Nice. But things tend to go a little wrong mm-hmm. uh, when he tries to set this up. Sci-Fi Talk continues, so stay tuned. And um, so this was inspired by your experiences, and... The, the character, was he based on any particular one, the environmentalist? Well, Chairman Rama is a, a, a bearded environmentalist. He's very idealistic. In essence, Chairman Mao, but he's, <laughs> he, he's, you know, his mantra is, is to do something for the, for the, for the environment. Right. And so I noticed that the people that really believe strongly in, in green and in the environment is sort of a religion to them, even mm-hmm. though they will deny it. So I, I talk about the religious basis of, of believing in the environment, and um, there's a lot of, of uh, a lot to be said there, you know, for for that belief. But what if it's taken to an extreme? And what if what if these people that take over create a police state, and it's enforced by eco police, ecological police, and the eco police wear shiny green helmets and and have uh, green jack boots and and they're sort of Nazi-like in, in certain things that they do, but it, it's helping the planet. Yeah. So, yeah. so it, op- it opens up a whole discussion. Mm. And, and really, when, when we try to call corporations now, we get into voicemail jail. We can't even reach a person. And, and I feel that corporations have pretty much uh, colonialized people. They're, they're international corporations, and they're just – we, we are, the, are the goal that they have to, to colonialize. And so yeah. – they're sort of like the British Empire or or some of the old empires, mm-hmm. except that they have a different source. They're pillaging us for resources, and so I thought, well, you know, the the, the left, the far left, has has a point. 
these corporations are not behaving well. People are, are the smaller and smaller group are getting richer and richer. This isn't right. And so what if a revolution hit the streets and balanced it out? But by the same token, all corporations aren't bad. And right. sometimes they're all painted with the same brush. And so I do have some people that, that believe in property rights and, and, and that sort of thing and that, that are actually not bad people in, in the book. So both sides are, are pretty well covered to, for discussion. Cool. Now, is this the first of a series, or is it a standalone book? Uh, I've left it to where it could be the first of a series. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that, there's definitely more stories uh, in this environment. Yeah, can you imagine the entire planet uh, uh, it, it t turned into uh, beautiful green forests and and treated properly? Uh, it's wow. It, it'd be too hard to to imagine in a sense, but we we can do that in books, don't we? Yeah, I've I've always uh, thought that we could always kind of um, you know like there's some places on Earth that do it so well is kind of build around the environment rather than you know just level trees and things, but there's a way of building around it where both interests are served and yet nobody is uh, you know you're not also wrecking the environment. I've always believed that that was possible. Right, yeah. because if you go too far to the left. Then people become an endangered species. Yes. And, and don't we have a right to live here too? It's just yeah. that when we start declaring ownership of, of things that things get out of hand. I, yep. I think we're more stewards of the land than of the ocean. Yeah. Treat yeah. it better. Absolutely. Speaking of ocean, that's also another book that you have, uh, that, that's a, that coming out. Um, uh, you know, that's also has kind of an ecological theme to it a little bit too. And as as this one, because it's kind of like a, a Herbert standard, there's also a political message there too. Yeah, I've I've been putting messages not in all my books, but <laughs> um, ocean is definitely a, a big one. It was my wife's idea. She's always had this love of of the water. She's done snorkeling and scuba diving in Hawaii, and she came back one year and said, Brian, what if the ocean were to declare war against our civilization for all the bad things we've done to the water? So then I started thinking, how how would I put that together as a story? And it occurred to me that the ocean is full of dangerous sea creatures, really dangerous, not just sharks and, and barracudas and the things we've heard about. You know, there's there's sea snakes and there's all kinds of uh, maybe some extinct animals have come back from the depths uh, and they're really nasty and they have big teeth. And, and what if this entire force could be turned, this, all these creatures could be turned into a military force Mm. that declares war and actually keeps people out of the water. Yeah. And so I developed a, a group of um, environmental activists. Some of them are part sea creature and part human <clears throat> through some uh, uh, details that I'll explain, that I explain in the story. And one of them can actually, she's linked to the ocean so much mm -hmm. that she can create tidal waves and she rides on top of a tidal wave. And nice. she can slam that wave into a Navy ship or into the into the coast of the United States to get our attention. Mm -hmm. And they also get all the garbage, the floating garbage and other junk that we've dumped in the water to the, to the bottom of the sea, wherever it is. They get it all out and they dump it back up on the on the shore for humans to clean up, <laughs> clean up our own messes. Now, in designing them, did you, uh, you know, uh, so they're, they're part aquatic. Do they look more fish-like or kind of a hybrid between human and uh, and maybe not fish, but, you know, sea mammal? 
Well, they're different. The the one that can create uh, tidal waves looks entirely human, but there there are different people in this group of activists who who can actually morph into partially into what they control. So, for example, the the woman that controls barracudas and sharks, she looks half human and half barracuda, um, and other 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 people morph into into what they control. Crabs. Mm-hmm. I mean, crabs can be really nasty if they're put into a military force and they start crawling all over a navy ship. Um, you know, they start tearing people apart. Yeah. So there's some really really heavy duty stuff that can be done to humans because we're pretty soft uh, shelled creatures compared to to what can be sent after us from the depths of the ocean. Yeah. Um, I also have a one of the of the leaders of this group is actually an autistic girl. Oh, wow. who has been absorbing information about the ocean for her entire life. She's is a young woman, and she knows exactly when uh, the entire ocean is going to be a dead zone with no oxygen wow. because of the terrible things we've done to the water. And there are dead zones all over this planet right now from sewage and mm-hmm. other things that we've, we've done mm-hmm. to the water. Well, if you take that to an extreme, and this autistic girl can see when the entire ocean is going to die, that's a huge element to, to why they, they declare war. Yeah. And the ocean is responsible for almost half of the oxygen we breathe. Mm. So when wow. we do what we do to the water, we're actually committing suicide as, as a race. Yeah, I know. I've, I've always uh, been a big uh, proponent of the ocean. And, you know, uh, I live on an island now in Manhattan. Although, mm-hmm. And I was born on one, so I, I kind of, you know, I'm used to having water around me, so uh, it's a worthy, uh, both those books, uh, you know, have a very uh, worthy environmental message. Uh, you know, we seem to put other issues ahead of the environment these days, but it should always be uh, pretty close to the front, I think. Well, one of the, one of the uh, Ocean is more of an activist book. I, d- I don't really have an opposite point of view in there that, that, that carries much weight, whereas in the Little Green book, I, I do talk more about that, but... We, we live on land as human beings, so I, I, that's why the Little Green Book talks about two sides of the argument. But in the water, in the ocean, we don't live in the ocean. We may have lived in it at one time. We have remnants of gills uh, in our bodies behind our ears. We have yeah. uh, amniotic fluid uh, that, that is similar to seawater. Uh, so at one time we did live in the ocean, but we don't live in the ocean. We don't own it. We act like we own it. And I don't think we do. I think the, the creatures that inhabit that realm own it. Yeah. And, and, and we need to respect that. There's more Sci-Fi Talk. I want to tell you about Sci-Fi Talk Premium. And now we're doing something really special. The third Friday of every month will now be the monthly edition. It will just be a premium access program only that recaps the previous month's interviews and news. And if you want to be a part of that, it's not expensive and real easy. Just visit scifitalk.com and then on top of the page you'll see a premium page link. Click on that and that'll take you to my premium page and there you'll see a get premium access link to get you started. Then you create a MyLibsyn account and you can choose a subscription level that fits you. And I, I do advise that the longer you subscribe the better discount you get. You'll then be able to listen to premium content as long as you're logged in from my premium page, iOS app, or Android app. One subscription lets you log in and access premium content like monthly edition now on the third Friday of each month. Let's get back now to Sci-Fi Talk. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think the ocean reminds us um, 
whether it's a sea disaster or a tsunami, that we're not in control of it and that it has pretty much, uh, you know, its own, uh, you know, mind, you might say. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not something that we can kind of turn on and off like so many things, you know, we do these days. So it's, No, and 71% of our planet is ocean. Yeah. But, but we call the planet Earth with 29% of it. It's sort of like apartheid in South Africa, you know. Mm -hmm. It, it's backwards. You know, this planet should be called ocean. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that very much. Uh, another thing you have is, um, I, I would assume, Hellfire. Is that part of the Hellhole series that you and Kevin have written? Uh, yeah, Kevin and I have written three books in the Hellhole series. Um, there, there was Hellhole, and, and now we have the third book in the series. Their, their second one was Hellhole Awakening, and now Hellhole Inferno. Nice. And it's all <clears throat> an alternate... Um, galaxy in a sense in which a very imperialistic group uh, rules 74 planets 20 of them are very opulent and, uh, and there's all these princes and, and regal people strutting, strutting about but there's been 54 more planets discovered in the deep zone way yeah. out in, in space mm -hmm. and the humans are able to reach that because uh, a, a new form of space travel is developed and so those are populated, and it's sort of like the Oklahoma land rush, right, yeah. um, in which all the planets are then populated and controlled and this and that. And on one of the planets, the very worst one of all, it's called Hellhole. And <laughs> Hellhole was hit by an asteroid 500 years ago and just really wiped out. Hellhole then becomes a place for a, a, a malcontent, um, a, a, a prince who has rebelled and caused trouble, that's where the imperial government sends him. Uh, he's an exile, sort of like a Napoleon character. Yeah. But when he lives on Hellhole and he, he gets his planet going, it, it, he becomes very, very strong because anybody living on that, in that kind of an environment gets pretty tough. And so he forms a brand new rebellion. And while he's forming his new rebellion, he discovers that the asteroid that hit the planet 500 years ago was not an accident. And there were aliens living on the planet at that time. They weren't aliens from the hellhole perspective because they, they lived there. But, right. but they are, they're coming back because mm -hmm. they've been preserved in what we call slick water. And so if a person, a human being were to fall into the slick water, there are remnants of, of this ancient, of ancient people in yeah. that water and they start to inhabit the humans. So the humans then are part alien. They look human. But there's, they have these alien elements to them. And so our rebel, our Napoleon type character now has a new ally. And they are aliens with very powerful telepathic capabilities. I mean, that is, I don't want to give any spoilers, but they can do some huge things, uh, from a telepathic standpoint. And so the imperial government now has a real big problem for this yeah. revolution. Yeah. Now, uh, this is book three. Uh, mm -hmm. How many more books do you think you and Kevin, uh, I mean, how many more stories do you think you guys have to tell? Well, we've we've written 12 Dune novels plus an alternate <laughs> Dune novel in The Road to Dune called Spice Plant. So Kevin and I have written 13. We have one more uh, that we're going to write in the Dune universe for sure, Navigators of Dune. Nice. So that would be 14, and then the three hellhole is 17 books that we've written. <laughs> so is uh, is this is the third book for Hellhole the last of the series, or is there more stories there? It, it is the last of the series, but um, there's definitely room for for more stories in Hellhole. Hmm? Um, 
and with uh, with Navigators of Dune, going back to Dune, that's yeah. the third book in the Great School trilogy that started with Sisterhood of Dune, yeah. about the origins of the Sisterhood, the Benny Gesserit School, Mentats of Dune, origins of the Mentat School, which just came out in March. That's right. That's and, right. And then Navigators would be the Spacing Guild, uh, how that was all developed, and and all those schools developed at a similar time, back. 10,000 years before Dune. So it's kind of a legendary time that Frank Herbert set up uh, around the Butlerian Jihad when humans were enslaved by computers and we rose up in this great Jihad or holy war to defeat the thinking machine. Sci-Fi Talk returns in a moment. It's really cool that you both have been able to go back and really take, you know, the different schools and really give us more background and, and you know, using uh, Frank Herbert's notes and, and really just... Uh, you know, fleshing it out more and really expanding the universe and explaining the universe more. And I think uh, I think that's that's so cool. And uh, I'm, you know, Mentats has uh, it's been out. And one of Navigators. When do you think you both will be ready with that? Uh, we're going to start writing it. We've actually we've already brainstormed it and sent our very detailed proposal into uh, tour books. Oh, nice. So we, we know where it's where it's going, but we have not. Uh, I think we're going to get together in September or October to begin the actual writing. Okay. Well, this is, um, you know, we're starting, uh, we're actually almost the middle of convention season because this is July as we tape this. Um, What are your plans as far as signings? Are you you and Kevin going to be at Comic-Con or are you going to be there separately or? I think Kevin might might be there. He's he's done quite a few comic conventions. I've I've been to Comic Con on occasion. I went to Emerald City Comic Con this year. Oh nice. And and we, we wish we'd taken more copies of Ocean there, by the way. We had big piles of the cop of, of the book Ocean and they all sold out. Nice. So it sold the same as Mentats are doing at, at that convention. But I I'm doing several book signings. I'll be on there I have a new website. I'm not tech savvy but people are helping me set it up and I've Three book signings listed, and I have a fourth one that I've just arranged today. And I'm doing a blog tour, interviews such as this one with you, Tony. Not, nice. not too many interviews so far. Trying to get more involved in the internet. I'm I'm not a luddite, but um, I've, I've got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> yeah, I was. It was really cool that uh, you know that that somebody reached out to me. It certainly makes it an easier way to stay in touch and everything. And uh, to let people know, you're also on Twitter as well. Yeah, it's at Dune Author because my name had already been taken. <laughs> <laughs> really? Somebody took your name? That's amazing. Yeah, so, um, and, and speaking of comics, uh, one of my old novels, Sudana Sudana, uh, looks like it'll be made into a graphic novel. Excellent. Um, the 1985 novel with kind of an ecological twist. It's about this peanut-shaped asteroid where these very unusual people live that can that can flutter up into the air. They're very, very alien. And while certain family things are happening, the asteroid happens to be coming apart. There's a little background problem there. Yeah, that sounds cool. That sounds cool. <laughs> so, I mean, did they have the artist already set up as to who it's going to be? Or He's he's a, he's a very well-known artist. Um, I don't have the contract actually signed, but it's going back and forth. Okay. Uh, the artist is Paul Pope. Oh, okay. Um, very, very well known, and it's Boom Comics. Oh, oh, yeah, Boom is a that's a that's a good uh, outfit to be involved with. Hopefully, everything will go well, and that'll yeah. uh, get off the ground uh, as well. You both did your Dune book tour probably early in the year already. We did separate appearances, uh, and, and it's what we've done the last few times, and so that's that's kind of been 
been interesting. And Kevin did a lot of conventions. This yeah, year. yeah. Um, so we did a little little alternate way of doing it. Um, mm-hmm. it not the normal uh, book tour, and, uh, but it, it's nice to. I'm going to do several book tours that are appearances this year. It's actually nice to get out and talk to people. Oh yeah, as much as you can. The, the internet definitely has its benefits, but it's got a lot of limitations. It can be kind of impersonal. Yeah, of course, of course. Now, uh, now the uh, the Little Green Book of Rama and Ocean are those available as ebooks as well? Yes, Ocean is with a small publisher, Wordfire Press. Um, yes, uh, the Little Green Book of Chairman Rama is with Tor Books. Nice. And it's also, um, I've sold it to Blackstone Audio, and uh, Scott Brick, well-known narrator, is is narrating that one. Oh, that's um, great. So he's, he's one of the rock stars of, of, of the <laughs> book narration business, and yeah. he's just very happy that he's doing Little Green Book. And uh, Hellfire is probably available as well, and I would think Mentats is available as, as e-books as well. Yeah, uh, Hell, Hellhole Inferno, the third book in the series, will come out in August. I think it's oh, okay. August. August twelfth. Oh, okay. Um, and it's coming out as um, see an ebook. I think it's going to be an audio book on the same date. Oh, so nice, nice. Tor is publishing it August twelfth in, in two formats. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these are available as ebooks too. Now, as far as you and Brian, I mean you, you are Brian. I'm sorry, you and Kevin. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as uh, I guess your contract with Tor. Is there room to develop another series other than Hellhole? And you know you have the Dune books. Uh, besides that, is there a possibility of that? Uh, of a brand new series that yes. Kevin and I write together? Mm-hmm. Kevin and I have had, uh, well, 17 books. So 16 we've written so far. And we've had maybe a half hour of, of arguing. <laughs> That's great. Uh, we argue more with our spouses every day than that. So, uh, it, but it has been, it, it's sort of like taking a, a huge journey. Of, let's just say you're, you're going to, well, a, a big trip to Europe and one of you wants to see the sites, one of you wants to shop. Well, Kevin and I have the same vision for this big journey we took through the Dune universe. And we found that when we got into the Hellhole series, the universe there, we had very similar views of where we were going to. Oh, cool. That's great. That's so great. it's nice. But, but we also keep coming up with new things. It, it, each of us comes up with things that surprise the other. So, for example, when we're, we're brain, we were brainstorming an early Dune book, I, I thought, well, there's going to be this big problem on a guild highliner and somebody's going to be stranded way out deep in space. And so I, I was outlining this thing, and I at the very end of it, when I was coming up with that part of it, I said, Okay, Kevin, they're all stranded out in deep space. The navigator has died. Um, they have no way to get back. You solve it. <laughs> <laughs> so we do. We, we figure things like that out and, and solve these little problems. But that was one where we had a little fun with each other. That's fun. That's great. You can do that, too. I mean, that's uh, it's so important nowadays, uh, especially with, uh, you know, collaborating with someone. But, uh you guys have it down. I mean, uh, that's that's great that you work so uh, so well together. Yeah, Kevin has um, <clears throat> always been very very good about promotion, but and I I've, I've kind of been been lagging on that. I tend to just stay in my study and write. Yeah. But the funny thing is, when I when I get out and actually talk to people, I I enjoy it. Yeah, I I know we've talked back and forth about the possibility of a Dune movie, and uh, you know, I think last I heard, Peter Berg was involved. Um, but I, it sounds like that's kind of stalled right now. Yeah, Peter Berg was uh, tied in with uh, Paramount. Mm-hmm. He had a deal with Paramount. Paramount, let's see, in 2011, 
they did not renew their option. Oh, okay. Um, they've gone to a lot of development trouble. Um, didn't renew it. And so right now, yeah, there's, there's a lot of discussion about it, but, um, nothing to announce. You know, I always, th- somebody brought this up on, on the web, and I think it's a great idea, is they should do the, do- the Dune series as all of the Game of Thrones, as a, as a, as a series on cable like that. I think it would work so much better because you can tell, it, it, it lends itself perfectly to a long form of storytelling rather than just trying to make it a three- or four-hour movie or a series of movies. A series might work better, and in the old days, I would say, on television, no, but after Game of Thrones, that certainly has changed the way we look at series on, uh, and even Walking Dead, another adaptation, the way we look at uh, adaptations on television. Uh, and Cable especially has taken it to a whole other level. Well, that's a good point. Um, Frank Herbert wrote a million words in his six novels, and I think Kevin and I have added another two million to <laughs> yeah. the universe. So we have three million words, lots of stories in there. Yeah. So, you know, television went through kind of a dark ages, but now it's sort of a renaissance, I suppose, and um, it, it's changing more rapidly than, than people can, can keep up with. I think cable has really is going through a renaissance right now. The networks are still not sure how to deal with uh, people time shifting watching things later and you know uh, binge watching where you watch episodes of a television show all in one day for example or in a couple of days they're they're not sure how uh, it's the way it looks uh, to me it looks like they haven't adapted to people's viewing habits Uh, and they're still kind of thinking really in a system that was started in the 60s and now is grossly out of date. So Yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot of scrambling that has to go on. Look at what the standard publishers are having to do now in yeah. view of the, the e-books. Yeah, yeah. And all, I mean, things change, and, and that's when you you don't want to be too sedate in, in your ways because what worked in 1960 doesn't work anymore. That's right. Well, the cool thing about... Oh, yeah. one exception. Dune was published in, in 1960. That's right. It still works. <laughs> uh, what's interesting is, you know, the ebook thing is great, but I still think that people still want to have certain books in their library, you know? And I, I'm that way. And in yeah. fact, um, now with ebooks becoming so, so big, people are getting rid of their, of their standard books and I'm I'm buying them up at 50 cents and a dollar a piece wherever I see them. Yeah, there you go. I've got thousands of them. I mean my my house is collapsing under them but <laughs> but I but I love the library I built. Well, you know the great thing about ebooks is that you, know, you can take it in your in your pump, you know, whatever device mm-hmm. you're using, tablet or whatever right. and you can it, it's great on airplanes and things like that and uh you know, it's it's awesome and and it's a great way to travel. And when you know when you have a six-hour flight, as I will have coming up to Comic Con, I'll probably end up reading something. One of the features you can find quotes that you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a lot you can do. So I uh, I think it's great, and uh, it's just an avenue. It's certainly it's like it doesn't replace books, but it, it it gives you something else. It gives you another option, and that's and that's only a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah. Well, Brian, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. We've uh, we've covered a lot. Uh, just to kind of recap for the folks, uh, Little Green Book of Rama, that is out and available for people? 
Yes, that, that was published July. In July. Yeah, that's right. It just came out this month. That's right. Mm-hmm. And also, um, Ocean, is, is that out as well? Yes, that was published in November okay, 2013. So, okay, so that's, and then we know Mentats is out. And then we have, uh, coming up, I guess, uh, would that be next spring for Navigators or? Uh, probably be a little bit further out than further that because out. if we, okay. we'll, we'll, we'll finish the book in the spring or, you know, the late spring, but it would be published sometime after that. Oh, okay. Um, okay. and then going back to the books that you just recapped, there are ways to get signed copies of Ocean, for example, through VJ Books for one. Nice. Um, and I'm setting it up with a couple of others too, but the VJ Books in Port, uh, in a suburb of Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Um, you can find that on the internet. They mm-hmm. have signed copies of Ocean. And we can also get signed copies of, of my other books uh, through them and, and through some other outlets that I'll be announcing on my website. And speaking of your website, what's the URL so people can find it that way? Yeah, it's uh, brianherbertnovels.com. There you go. Real easy. Real easy. Yeah, and uh, Facebook, again, there's multiple Facebook pages on me. My wife set one up, and then there was another one Facebook set up, but we have a new Facebook page that's the, 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 the real one. <laughs> I, I mean, they're all real, but, but yeah, this is the one that um, that we're starting to work with and, and connect to the website and the Twitter site, and the Twitter site is at Dune Author. Yeah, so I, I'll, I'll be following you for sure. This way I'll keep up with what you guys are doing, and you separately and also with Kevin as well. And Kevin's been active on the web for a long time, so he's... Uh, and, and then we also still have a website, which is com. Yeah, it's a great site, really great and, site. And that's where you'll see all, all the news about uh, various Dune projects and, and, and other Frank Herbert-related related projects, because Dad wrote 30 books, Yeah, yeah. and he's, he's more than more than Dune. Um, there, there's a lot of other great, great novels that he wrote. Yeah, uh, you know, we've talked about this in the past. Uh, you've been able to get a lot of his books republished and even in ebook form, so mm-hmm. reintroducing a whole new generation to Frank Herbert is cer- certainly not a bad thing at all. Well, his very first novel, The Dragon in the Sea, 1955, he invented containerized shipping. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and his second novel was Dune. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's off to a pretty good start there. Yes, he was. <laughs> yes, he was. Well, thanks again. Uh, great to talk to you and uh, look forward to uh, seeing you. Uh, so definitely uh, check out your website and keep up to what you're doing and what you have coming out next. And thank you, Tony. And I hope you enjoy enjoy Comic Con. It's uh, it, it, it's great craziness. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's kind of one of these things where I look forward to it and dread it at the same time. <laughs> well, it's really exciting. You're going to be really tired, but you're going to have a great time. I think so. I think so. All right, Brian. You take care. You too, Tony. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye.